What you're about to hear, I didn't really plan to do. I was part of an Easter vigil last night at Gobin Church, went from 11 p.m. to midnight. So I got back to my house about 12.30 and just had one of those nudges. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to crack open. I'm just going to glance at the lectionary text, which technically I think it's the alternate lectionary text, but it's the one I cracked open. And I thought, I'm just going to see. And if something really grabs a hold of me, you know, just electrifies me like nothing I've ever heard, just jumps. Then, then maybe I would do some kind of a little Easter sermon tomorrow, but then eh, surely not. So I just, I was tired. I glanced at it and these words just arrested me where Mary in John 20 says, they have taken my Lord away. They've taken my Jesus away. Whoo! It's one of those, the light just came on. The moment I saw that, I knew I had to talk about it. So that's where we're going. Thanks for listening. If you can share this, if you like, subscribe, comment, any of that stuff helps. Supporting on Patreon is huge. Thanks so much for those who are able to do that. Um, I just really hope this speaks very directly to where some of you are today because it's just one of those things. There's some heat on it because it feels somehow particular for some folks. I don't know who, I don't know how. Just one of those things. I know these last few have been real preachy. Don't intend this to be all sermons. Right now it feels like, well, I guess I'll <laughs> I guess I'll just keep preaching until I get to preach out of me. I don't know. I'm glad you're here in any case. Welcome back to the Zeitcast. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, wherever you are. Uh, I am coming to you right now from my porch in Greencastle, Indiana. And I feel like I had to do this today for a couple of reasons. Uh, I didn't preach this morning. I was in a wonderful service at Gobin United Methodist. In fact, um, three wonderful services this weekend. Our Good Friday night, our Holy Saturday Easter vigil. It's funny people act like mainline churches aren't about the Bible because Basically, those services were all scripture, and last night the Easter vigil was at 11 p.m. So we get we get pretty hardcore in the in the Methodist Church, y'all. Um, hey, friends, good to see you. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to jump on the porch because uh, for a couple reasons. One, you know, coming from the Pentecostal Church, it's a tradition of testimony, and I think I just need to be able to say, I need to be able to tell somebody, this is probably the most meaningful Holy Week I've ever had uh, for a couple different reasons. So I want to say a bit about that. And then also, <laughs> story, it's just Stella. <laughs> Stella's on the porch with me and other friends are walking past us. Uh, so <laughs> good morning, Ben, Andy. <laughs> Happy Easter to you, Terry. Good to see you. So, um, so here's the thing. I got in last night after the 11 o'clock service and the way that goes, service wrapped up about 11.45 technically, but then you know, you ring it in until midnight. So then we just gathered around the piano and we just sung hymns until it was midnight. It was beautiful. Um, just really extraordinary uh, moment. And I was catching up with my friends there. Didn't get in until about 1230. I was tired. And 
I thought I, I had this prompting. I had this inkling that I felt like maybe I was supposed to do something like this today. I'm not trying to be super spooky about it, but those of you who know me know I am. I thought, I, hey, man, I don't think that's Holy Spirit. I'm not doing this. Then I thought maybe I should just crack open the Bible and glance at the lectionary text. So I glance at the lectionary text. Now I'm new enough to this. I can still get confused. Um, there are multiple readings for this morning. I think the lectionary text I looked at is the primary reading for today uh, from John 20, which is a text I've preached from many times, read many times that I love. And so help me, I felt like I got hit by a two by four. I saw something in that text I've never seen before that just um, kind of electrified me, which meant not sleeping again. Some of y'all might have heard I preached a sermon from a graveyard uh, on Good Friday night. So I thought, well, I, if I was looking for a sign, I guess this is it. I guess I need to to give some kind of a talk on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Lindsay, it is super spooky. It is it just, just getting spookier. I'm letting myself just get weirder. That's what's happening. I'm just letting myself get weird. And I'm just not worried about what anybody's going to gonna think or say about it. But I, I do want to say this by way of preface before I show you something. Oh, thank you so much. Um, before I get into this uh, this text, part of the reason this week has been so special. So I'm the director of the Center for Spiritual Life here at DePaul. And this apparently only three times in a century does Ramadan and Passover and Holy Week fall during the same week. So since uh, as the director of the Center for Spiritual Life, that means it's been an unbelievably full and rich week for me. So Wednesday night, we had a Passover Seder. Our uh, president very graciously opens up her home, uh, Dr. White, to, you know, for us to come and do a Seder. That was really wonderful. Where it really kind of took on a whole different character, though, the next night, uh, Rebecca Schindler, who's a wonderful professor here, opened up her home for a more intimate, uh, just for a few of us, uh, kind of uh, Seder, a second Seder. So I went for that. And of course, Seder is all about, you know, you're rehearsing the you're rehearsing the story. Passover is all about rehearsing the story. So that put me in one kind of headspace. Uh, Wednesday night, our Hindu students had their spring celebration. I went straight there after Passover. Good Friday night. No, this was interesting. So we did a tenebrae service, which if you've ever been part of that, you know, it's stark. And I find it unbelievably haunting and powerful. Um, I, I saw somebody's random tweet the other day that was kind of disparaging, like putting people through a bunch of hard emotions over Easter weekend just to, you know, pump up the resurrection experience. I, I couldn't, my experience couldn't be more opposite. I feel like we have so few public spaces for grief, for mourning, for weeping, for ambiguity. Um, I, I'm, I'm so here for all of these things and that service Basically, seven of us just take, took turns reading the entire crucifixion story at length. And as after we did that at certain sections, then, you know, we would extinguish the seven candles on stage. And then after I did the last reading, I extinguished the middle candle, the Christ candle, which, by the way, was really painful. Um, I struggled to not just completely come apart like it, it hurt to do that. And when I extinguish the Christ candle, there is the a clang of a symbol from the back of the church. And that's basically the end of the service. Um, I found it so wonderful to end on a note that was that 
dissonant and unresolved in the way that our lives are so often unresolved. Like you, you just don't get to do that in church a lot. But I got done with that. And then I went over to our first Ramadan iftar. There'll be three of those, which is essentially just uh, a meal. It's a way of breaking fast. Muslims during Ramadan fast every day, um, you know, from first thing in the morning until evening, no food or water. And one of our um, professors, mathematics professors, um, uh, beautiful, beautiful friend of mine cooked for us. She's Muslim. Specific reflection. Here I am. And I know from the world I come from how, how wild a lot of this would, would seem. Here I am at the intersection of all these traditions and all these activities. And I've never felt more close to Jesus during Holy Week than I am during this one. I've never felt more close to Jesus than I am when I spent two nights out of the last few at two different seders at a Hindu spring celebration and at an iftar. And so I've been trying to kind of do a diagnostic, like, why, why, why is that? How is it that I feel more immersed in the Jesus story? How is it that I feel, if we want to use kind of Pentecostal charismatic language, more of a conscious sense of the Holy Spirit than I've ever felt during Holy Week than I do right now? And um, I mean, there's a part of that that's very mystical to me. I don't know. Uh, but here's my instinct. I, I had the thought in particular that you know, what Jesus actually did was not make things all about him. <laughs> I'm just gonna let that sit there for a moment. Jesus didn't make things all about him. And there was something about having the opportunity to serve my neighbors, to serve my Muslim neighbors, to be in community uh, with friends who don't share my faith during Holy Week that made me feel infinitely more connected to the person and presence of Jesus. Also, just the share, the kindness and the hospitality and the, and the generosity. So it's really interesting to me that, um, instead of feeling on the fringe of a thing, I feel more in the center of the Jesus story. The further out I go in friendships and connections and relationships, um, yeah, I, there, I think that there's a lot to be uh, to be explored there. But I said I wanted to share with y'all what I saw in this text last night. Will you bear with me? And please don't tune out during the reading because there's some things here. I'm telling you, I think you'll you're going to feel the electricity because there is some there is some serious electricity in this text. Thank you, David, that you're feeling this fire. You know, I need those digital amens. Y'all know I'm a Pentecostal preacher. Nobody's preaching with me. I get nervous and don't know what to do. Even if it's like, just help him, Jesus, help him, Lord, pat me on the head. I'm okay with any of that. Um, but John, John, John 20, we're going some, somewhere, y'all, I, I promise. John 20 begins like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. And one of the things I loved about ringing in this Easter at uh, from 11 p.m. to midnight is that I literally started my Easter while it was still dark. Easter begins while it's still dark. Easter doesn't begin with sunrise. Easter doesn't begin with bunnies and flowers. It begins while it's still dark. And I just, if anybody needs to hear that right now, that uh, who, who, 
it's Easter and it's still dark. You know what? Easter always begins while it's still dark and there's not something wrong with you. And it doesn't mean that there's not resurrection for you, that it's Easter and right now it's still dark. That's, that's just a, just a footnote, just a footnote. But Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that it had been removed. In other words, can I say it like this? The lid had come off. Man, I'm feeling awfully preachy for a porch. Um, the lid had come off. Jesus had already been crucified. Jesus has already been died. There's nothing worse that could happen than love dying. But at least Mary knows where the body is. She at least knows where she can go and, you know, and see the form of Jesus, be near the body of Jesus. At least there's some kind of comfort in that. In the same way that we can take a, a strange kind of comfort in like going to visit a tombstone is better than, uh, for a lot of us, going to visit a gravesite is better than nothing at all, right? At least she had that. Now she doesn't even have that. The lid has been taken off, but she has not yet experienced resurrection. The worst thing has already happened and now what little comfort she did have has been taken away from her. And so if that lands with anybody for whom it seemed like things could not get any worse, things could not get any bleaker, things could not get any darker, and now the lids come off, and that has it meant that, you know, you've got a resurrected Jesus hurtling toward you to give you a hug, but instead, maybe feels more like all hell is breaking loose. The lid has come off, but there is no resurrection yet for Mary. So she sees the stone's been removed from the tomb. And so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, as we get in John's gospel, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. I want to read a few more verses, but I'd love for you to pay attention to this refrain. And I want you to just see if you hear anything in this, because I've never heard this before. Never heard it before, uh, what, like 1 a.m. last night after our Easter vigil? And I can't stop thinking about it. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, now hear this. They have taken Jesus. That's what Mary's feeling. They have taken my Jesus away from me. Hang on to that and we'll go a little further. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple, <laughs> John, like uh, certain NBA stars refers to himself in the third person in a marvelous way, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. He went to the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first. <laughs> yes, Rachel, did I mention I'm faster than Peter? John, yes, that's, ex that's exactly what's happening here. Also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from, rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Well, walk with me just a little bit further, y'all. We're, we're going somewhere. 
but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. Now, Terry and Nicole, are y'all, y'all are getting ahead of my sermon. <laughs> you hear that? They have taken away my Lord. What a haunting phrase that is. They have taken away my Lord. Just a few more verses. And I do not know where they've laid him. They have taken away my Lord, and now I don't know where to find him. They have taken away my Lord, and now I wouldn't know how to get to him if I wanted to. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Well, there's so much going on there, but I need to lean in, even her asking Jesus, if you're the one who's carried him away. Does anybody resonate with the experience of feeling like folks have taken Jesus away? Now, I understand that since Jesus had been crucified and nobody's got any sense of resurrection here, that it was a form of Jesus, that it was the body of Jesus. But, you know, my experience has been, even for a lot of folks who don't have a a great experience of institutional religion, they still had a sense that they knew where to go to get to a form of Jesus. They at least knew where the body was. They at least knew that there were these places with steeples that were more or less a place of comfort, that maybe if somebody died, if there was a wedding, uh, 9-11, whatever it might be, that that's a place where you could go. If you needed something like the form of Jesus, you could you could get there. But then what happens when you come to that spot, when you come to that place and Jesus has been taken from you. Jesus has been taken. That's my sense of how a lot of folks feel right now, that Jesus has been taken away from them. And because of that, there is lament. There is weeping. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament in Samuel where um, Eli the prophet, Hannah, who was desperate for a son, y'all still with me? Hannah's desperate for a son, and she's in the temple day and night, and she's weeping. And her travail is so great, her longing is so great, that as she's weeping, Eli, the priest, Eli, the professional minister, doesn't understand that it's lament. He doesn't understand that she's mourning. He thinks that she's that she's drunk. He presumes that that weeping is drunkenness. Y'all, I, I just, I just got to say... For somebody who, as somebody who does this, those of us who are in ministry are oftentimes the absolute worst at diagnosing people's emotions. We're the absolute worst at recognizing grief. Here this woman is who is 
just uh, upside down with heartbreak. She's racked with grief. Her, her lips are moving, but she's not really making sound. And the priest doesn't recognize lament when he sees it. The priest doesn't recognize. Come on, somebody. The priest doesn't recognize lament when he sees The priest doesn't recognize heartbreak. In fact, not only does he not recognize heartbreak, he sees it as disorderly conduct. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. He sees it as she's out of order. He sees it as um, she's doing something wrong. And she's weeping, and he thinks that she's sinning. She's expressing profound grief, and he reads this somehow as this woman is 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 intoxicated. How wrong-headed can you get? But this, friends, is what those of us who are professional ministers often do. You know, we're allegedly supposed to be able to read the signs of the times and read these signs in the text, but apparently aren't able to read basic human emotions. We don't recognize grief when we see it. And so a lot of what I see happening right now is I see people weeping. I see people grieving. And where a lot of folks who are in professional ministry say, oh, look at this, look, look at this godless crowd. Look at all the God haters. Look at all, man, isn't this terrible? Man, people just hate Jesus. They don't want anything to do, do with Jesus. What an, uh, 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 blah, blah, blah. What a wicked and adulterous generation. We're living in the worst generation that's ever been. Y'all, people apparently haven't studied a lot of history. Are you aware of, are you, I'm not even going, <laughs> are you aware of any other generations? All this is the worst time that's ever been, the worst people it's ever been, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what a lot of the priests are saying. But folks, can I tell you, I don't see a bunch of people who are out hating God. I don't see a bunch of people who are just out in lawlessness and wickedness or whatever. What I see is a whole lot of heartbreak. I see a whole lot of, 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 of broken, grieving people who, like Mary, are weeping because it feels like. of them. Hello? The people recognize that Jesus is one. People on the outside have always felt comfortable with Jesus. That's why in the Gospels, he's repeatedly described as the friend of sinners. That's why the central critique we get of Jesus throughout the Gospels is that he eats and drinks with the wrong people. He dignifies the wrong people. I mean, this is what we get over and over and over again. My former pastor called me a troublemaker. He could not recognize my grief. Ooh, see, that's it. That's it. Everybody thinks it's, that's what everybody said. Oh, just, you just want to make trouble. You're just troublemaking because they don't recognize the grief. They don't recognize weeping when they see it. I'm, I'm so sorry that you've had that experience. I'm so sorry that so many of you have had that, that experience. But see, the thing that's so, that's so powerful, the thing that for me is so profound is that Jesus is a much better priest than Eli. Eli was a priest who didn't know the difference between lament and intoxication. Eli didn't know the difference between drunkenness and loss. 
But Jesus knows weeping when he sees it. Jesus understands the depth of your pain. And there is something that's really uniquely awful about a sense that people have taken. Oh, Kim, this is so good, especially when grief comes out as anger or hardness. See, that's it. So much of the anger that I hear and that I see, that's all, that's, that's all it is. Um, it's the kind of anger that comes when sadness hardens and there's not, and it's when there's not room for lament, there's not room for, for grief, then it comes out as anger. And, uh, and, and then the priests are, are denouncing folks all the, all the more. And it, and it does. It feels like for so many people that Jesus has been taken away. Oh, that did not into what I was saying before. People out on the outskirts of a thing have always recognized Jesus, have always loved Jesus, have always wanted to be with Jesus. But see, here's the thing. I feel like now the image of Jesus has become so disfigured that um, it's almost like that really horrible thing that if someone's that you've loved has been gone for a long time and memories start to get a little fuzzier. And then what if you don't even have the photographs anymore? I think that's what's happening with a lot of people with how they think about Jesus. It's like, not only has it been such a long time since they feel like they've experienced that Jesus, but now it's like there aren't even any photographs. And where would, where would you even go? Like the image of Jesus has been so has been so marred into something else. I mean, it's just, it's just unrecognizable. Functionally, it feels like Jesus has been, has been taken away. And hey, look, I know like um, a lot of people would say to me, a lot of people would say to a lot of us, you know, I, I know, like, like, do you want to, because he, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a weird zone right now. Because they they do. I'm not saying they're being intentional about it, but they they kind of do want to hijack Jesus. They think they can hijack Jesus. They think they can make Jesus say what they want him to say. They think they can turn Jesus into a puppet. They think they can turn Jesus into a mascot. They think they can turn Jesus into a logo. They think they can put a cross on a thing and flow it and, and throw it up on flags at rallies and like and say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus a thousand times. that they can take Jesus. They think that they can seize Jesus. They think that they can carry Jesus wherever they want him to go. And so I just I just want to tell somebody right now that the Jesus that I love, the Jesus I adore, the Jesus that I worship cannot be seized. You can't take him away. You can't carry him. Uh, can I say it real preachy? He's God all by himself. He goes wherever he wants to go. He walks wherever he wants to walk. You don't get to tell you don't get to tell him who his friends are. You don't get to tell him what places that he gets to. Man, I feel the I feel the spirit right here. You don't get to tell him uh, where he can and cannot go. You don't get to tell him whom he will and will not use. You don't get to tell you don't get to tell Jesus how to be Jesus. You don't get to animate Jesus and like like he's a, your puppet and use him however you like. He's resurrected from the dead. But the trouble now is that a lot of folks have like we had in um and and God bless. I actually have a very soft spot for puppets. So I'm not trying to slur the puppets. But like in children's church, 
a lot of folks like have like a puppet Jesus where, you know, they're saying this is what Jesus said, but it's just like what the prophet Jeremiah said. These folks are saying the Lord, the Lord, God said, God said, and it's not what God said. They're the ones who've got their, uh, their hands up the back of this Jesus. They're the ones who are moving the mouth muscles of this Jesus. And I hate to break it to y'all. That's not Jesus. I hate to break it to y'all. That's not Jesus. It's why you don't preach the words of Jesus. Oh, here I go. That's why you don't preach the gospels. That's why you don't talk about anything he actually said. That's why you don't tell the stories that he told. That's why you, (laughs) that's why you literally don't talk about Jesus. You like do like some kind of like weird riff on Paul. You do like a, a, a bad reading of a bad, it's a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy of somebody else's bad reading of Paul and then put everything else through that. But you don't really talk about Jesus much at all. And the reason you don't talk about Jesus is precisely, man, precisely because Jesus can't be controlled. Precisely because you can't carry him off. You can't make Jesus say whatever you want him to say. You can't, you can't turn Jesus into whatever you want him to do, which is why people intrinsically, they, will, they wouldn't plead guilty to this. Nobody would say they're doing this. But functionally, they start leaving Jesus alone. They just really don't talk about Jesus. It's why, it's why mascot Jesus can be very effective. Sentimental Jesus can be very effective. People appear because Jesus is powerful. Of course, the symbol of Jesus is powerful, moves our emotions, like all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then people j- just turn Jesus into sentiment without without having to wrestle with what he actually said or actually did. You know, I, I know this sounds hardcore. I don't mean it to be. I'm trying to be as gentle as I can. You know, I have for so long tried to say um, on a lot of these things, I understand that I simply see some of these things different and some folks, you know, see these texts different, whatever. The further these things, this thing goes, it's hard for me to even acknowledge anymore. Oh, well, y'all just see Jesus a little bit different. You see the Bible a little bit different. Cause I'm like, most of you folks are not engaging scripture in any meaningful way at all. You're not using the Bible. I don't hear scripture. I, you, I don't hear Jesus stories. I don't hear Jesus words. I hear like a lot of like, conveniently piece together a handful of texts to support some kind of thing. But man, I, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm, 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 I'm going really far into this thing and I appreciate y'all preaching with me, but I, I <laughs> let me keep, I'll try to keep it focused. The point is that you can't carry Jesus off. You can't take Jesus away. Nobody can take Jesus away from you. And I think that's precisely why so many of you are still here think that's why you're listening to this right now. Um, and I'm not trying to be a magician here. I believe that. I think that's why you are listening to this right now is because even though you have wanted to give up on Jesus, even though you have wanted to give up on the whole thing, even though you've been so discouraged and so disillusioned, all that, deep down, there's something inside of you that says, you can't carry my Jesus away. Nobody can take my Jesus away from me. And I'm not really coming to tell you anything new. I just want to validate what you already know deep down, which is that you're exactly right. Nobody can take Jesus away from you. Nobody can take your Jesus. Nobody owns a copyright on Jesus. Nobody owns a copyright on your journey with Jesus. 
nobody else has jurisdiction over that. No one else is sitting the judge's seat there. Uh, and you like, man, your relationship with God is between you and God. So if you're dealing with a lot of judgment in that direction, like, oh goodness, I'm, y'all, I'm, <sighs> thank you for preaching with me. I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm super carried away right now, but I believe it. I believe it. I believe a lot of people are weeping and lamenting and it's not been recognized as grief. And I love that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, Ken said, thanks for taking me to church in a day when I couldn't bring myself there. Uh, Lindsay saying I'm stuck on, uh, stuck on the part that Jesus recognized grief. Yeah. See, I hope that some of you right now can, can feel seen and known in your grief. Uh, I think, I think God, um, I think God really wants to do that right now for some of us is just to, to be present to us in our grief. See, of course, as, as it always is in the Gospels, right? Not only are, is it the women who stay by Jesus in the crucifixion, it's Mary who's, who's looking for the body of Jesus. I, I find that in general, um, so many of the women in my life, I feel like, uh, I hope that's not a weird thing to say. I am riffing right here, but experience some of the anguish of this season, the, the deepest precisely because there's such a deep devotion, such a deep affection for, for Jesus, such a deep loyalty to Jesus. Um, and I'm not trying to do some kind of weird riff on gender. I just think I'm just saying the, the, the men did all run off and Mary is there waiting and Mary is there weeping. And I do feel like there's something about like those folks who just still, I know. Real life Easter fun right here. <laughs> stay, stay. I do feel like there's something, um, something deep and profound about the grief of those who, uh, who stuck it out with Jesus because they love him so much. And uh, yeah, I just think I just think there's a lot that's happening there. I'll move more quickly now. So one of the things I love the most about this text is the way that. You know, when Jesus turns to her then, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned to him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, Mary has this, that we know of, one encounter with the resurrected Jesus where she sees him, but she's not able, <laughs> Stella preaching with me too, thank you for that. This is, this is Stella's amenic, I appreciate that, that take, because that's kind of mine too. Uh, just like the owls and God knows whatever else were preaching with me in the graveyard the other night. Um, there's something so beautiful to me about the fact that Mary becomes this evangelist based off seeing the risen Jesus this one time. Uh, after all the grieving, all the grieving, all the mourning, all the weeping, all the lament, this one appearance of Jesus is enough for her to go and tell this, even though she can't hold on to Jesus, even though she doesn't have a something physical, something tangible that she can cling to anymore. And if there's anything of that that would be encouraging to you right now, this is what I love about Easter is that it just, that's so preachy, but I'm feeling it right now. It just, y'all, it just takes one look. There is one encounter of risenness 
one way of seeing him, one way of seeing Christ revealed, one way of seeing Christ, one moment of seeing Christ in his fullness that can change everything. I may, I'm not gonna do this right now because I'm not trying to throw off the thing. Maybe before I'm done, I will show you. So this is not my house. It's a university house that I th- am thankful to get to stay in uh, when I'm here at Paw. And I would love to show you when I came back here from Oklahoma a couple weeks ago, um, I moved here late summer. I had no idea that there were any flowers here. I've never seen like any flowers here. And I came here and like, they're the most beautiful Easter flowers. There's color everywhere, literally within a week. I mean, I saw none of these. I was not aware there were any flowers in this yard. And I came back and I, you would think someone had come and like secretly planted all these things while I was gone. it was like, it, it It suddenly felt like a different place. I so believe in those kind of moments where all of a sudden, now all that happened, I was gone for a week and I came back and stuff was in bloom. Those kind of moments where you just look and all of a sudden the world just looks different. Um, you started Easter in the dark. You've still been in the dark on Resurrection Day. But then you look a second time, you look a third time, Maybe you've peered into the tomb over and over again and nothing has moved. But now all of a sudden you look and things are just in bloom and you can't explain it. You don't know why it is. You don't know why all of a sudden there's hope when there was a hope before. You don't know why that you'd be encouraged because frankly, the same crap is happening in the world and in your life. So why all of a sudden now is there is there color in life? When yesterday there was nothing, I, no way to explain it, but that's the mystery of resurrection. And one moment of seeing like that can change absolutely everything. See, this is what for me ultimately is so powerful about, and I'm almost done, so powerful about all the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus is that, you know, Road to Emmaus, a story like this, it's always the same message. He's right in front of you. He's right in front of you. In fact, the reason that we haven't seen him for who he is yet is because it's almost too close. He's almost too close. Mary, of course, though, because you do see this, right? And I'm not trying to make a character of this, but consistently through scripture and through the gospels in particular, women are sages, women are prophets. And the way that Mary perceived him to be the gardener, I mean, you do understand, right? that when she perceives him to be the gardener, that she's way more right than she could have possibly realized. What Mary recognizes intuitively, but doesn't yet know how to say, is that the Garden of Eden has been officially rebooted. This is the Garden of Eden 2.0. Creation is being restored. Creation is being restarted. When she perceived him to be the gardener, she wasn't wrong. (laughs) He was just... An infinitely bigger gardener than she realized. It's a lot bigger deal than you do, but she was right. Oh, he, he's the gardener. He's the one who's been tilling the soil. He's the one who's been making the garden ready all this time for precisely this moment. Boy, she thought he was the gardener and she was exactly right. She was more right than she knew. And I want to validate that too. Man, I just feel that, that just feels like God to me. I'm sorry. 
or not sorry um that some of y'all just more right than you knew uh more more you know that the the your intuition of who jesus is and the heart of jesus and you're out here saying the things that you're saying and doing the things that you do and being pushed out the fringes precisely because your heart beats for him the way that the way that it does and you're more right than you know you're more right than you know and other people might not see you as right and they might label you as all kinds of things but jesus sees jesus sees and I'm going to say that one one more time because it's blessing myself right now. Unlike Eli, unlike the priest, unlike the professional ministers who have diagnosed your grief as, I'm going down a list here, as mental illness, that's happened for some of y'all. They've actually, they've literally called you crazy. They've literally said you're insane, that something is wrong with you. They, 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 um, demon-possessed, um that uh, 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 backslidden or um, whatever adjectives can we use? Feel free to fill uh, fill those in the comments. Whatever things, whatever things they've said, all, all sorts of uncharitable, ungenerous things <laughs> that were just like Eli say, seeing a person profound grief and trauma, and assuming it was drunkenness. Priests have made a whole lot of assumptions about some of you, about some of us that have not been right. But Jesus sees. Jesus knows. And can I tell you something? Um, there's a special revelation of God. I'm not trying to make some people more spiritual than others, as if some people have access to special revelation that others do not. We all have access to the Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. I'm tell you something. Grief absolutely unlocks a revelation of the character of God. And precisely the fact that you've been weeping so deeply and grieving so deeply, you better believe that there is a special dispensation of God's grace for those who grieve and those who lament. Is this a Jezebel spirit? Oh boy, that's it. That's it. A rebellious spirit? Oh, angry, dangerous. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. All those words. And, and, and what for? For asking, for asking some questions, um, for, for daring to call in the questions when you see Jesus commandeered into a mascot, when you see people actually trying to carry him off. Come on. You need to trust that our vision is God's. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, this is so good, you guys. Uh, I, I, Y'all could preach this sermon so much better than than I ever could. But, man, I, for all those labels that get put on us, yeah, I really do think there's something like those who lament and grieve the most deeply. Oh, there's a special way that God shows up. Not because... God wouldn't show up to anybody else. They've just not been grieving, grieving the same way. You know, I do. This is precisely why. You, I mean, you understand that, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. They're going to be comforted. You, you understand that? Like, there's a comfort that can only come to those who grieve in this way. Um, revelation, the way that God wipes every tear from their eyes. You understand, like. The, there's a there's a touch of God that comes, a comfort of God that comes, precisely because the the grief has been so has been so terrible. So I'm just saying, there I do believe that there is an a different kind of access to to grace. There's a different way of being able to see. There's a different way of being able to hear and to perceive that not everybody is going to get, precisely because. The grief has been so messed up. <laughs> See, Stella is from that too. You know what? I'm just going to pick you up at this point. Yeah. Here we go. What do you What do you think? Do, do you think this is a rebellious spirit? Would you look at this? <laughs> Does this feel, is this just lawlessness? 
Is this is this sin in your heart? <laughs> Jesus doesn't see you that way, Stella. <laughs> yeah, you know, Terry, we need law and order is not the answer, but a symptom. You, you know, see, see, that's the thing. Everybody just wants, of course, everybody just wants folks to be quiet, right? That's all, all we get. Yeah, just quiet down. Just quiet down. Um, pro tip, that is never what God sounds like. God is never the one out here saying, y'all just need to quiet down. Um, no, God actually comforts those who are grieving. God comforts those who are more, he recognize, cause he recognizes grieving is, is grieving. And, um, by the way, I am landing the plane. I am really and truly, April said, let the woman preach. And <laughs> that's great. Um, I really am landing the plane. Um, I know I talked about this the other night and I'm aware that I know when people think I've lost my mind, I'm okay with it now. Um, the experience on Friday was profound. We live in a 24 hour news cycle where all kinds of stuff is happening all the time. And, you know, I get it. So then we get kind of, um, desensitized to things because there's always something new. I get that. I want to tell y'all, um, Friday, what happened in Tennessee, um, was so, I, 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 I still can't shake it for this reason, for this reason. I've even heard a lot of um, <laughs> progressive type people all like this lament of, oh, boy, that was so awful. Can you believe that they um, that they kicked these folks, the two Justins out of uh, out of Congress like it's so awful? Well, yeah, it's awful. But also that it's a way of kind of missing the moment. Uh, I think especially for those of us who are students of the civil rights uh, movement of the freedom movement. There are these particular moments in history. There's these, there are these tipping points. Um, you know, there's a way that Bull Connor gets lured, uh, the fire hoses and all that. There's a way that people tell on themselves. There's a, um, there's a, there are, there are moments that, that break people open. And that's, I just really felt that on Friday. That was one of those moments. I'm not saying, that everything's going to get rosy from here. I'm not saying things aren't going to get worse before they get better, but my read on Friday was not like, boy, what a terrible day. It felt like to me like like a like a rare turnaround. And you want to know exactly what I what I thought about? Some of y'all will like this. Not everybody who ever hears this is going to love it. Um in first and I, I promise I'm done on this. First Corinthians chapter two, Paul says in first Corinthians two, verse eight, none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this or they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. See, that's the thing. People assume that evil is smart when in reality Evil is generally really, really stupid. And my thought on Friday about some principalities and powers that I believe need to be broken is y'all definitely don't know what you're doing. If you were aware, if the principalities knew what they were doing, they would not be doing this. If you knew how the cross works, if you knew like, uh, do you know what I mean? The weird judo of the cross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it's precisely in. You do understand that like Paul locates the way that Jesus breaks the power of death, sin, the grave, all of that 
is not in the resurrection, but it's in the cross. It's in the cross that the principalities and powers are exposed. It is the cross that exposes the world as the world. It's it's the cross that does that. It's the cross that breaks things open. I mean, I love the resurrection. The resurrection is how God overcomes death. And yes, this is the most important day in history by me. But understand, the cross is where the victory is won. Revelation is very clear at this point. God overcomes through the self-giving, self-donating love that is the cross. So yeah, like, uh, so when we have those kinds of moments in history, I'm not exactly going to be the one walking around saying like, this is so sad because this is where I know, man, if, if the principalities and powers knew what they were doing, if they knew what they were doing, and I'm sorry, I know not everybody's going to love that, but I do think there's a mob spirit out there right now that's just trying to say, nah, there's all kinds of blame, all kinds of accusation, all kinds of scapegoating. It is not the sound of God. There is a sound of freedom. There is a, also a sound of, of weeping and lament. And, well, y'all know what I think. Uh, same thing that Pentecostals have been saying for a long time, that in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. So, uh, yeah, how you think I'm saying anything all that new? That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I actually believe. All right, y'all. Y'all um, have been gracious to bear with me. Uh, for this little Easter sermon. So here's, um, here's the last thing I want to do. Um, and it feels important to do today in particular. So I would love to take a couple moments now and, uh, I want to receive communion. Um, especially for anybody connected to our table family in Oklahoma City. I'm so sad not to be there. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more things together very soon. Uh, it's been such a wild season for me, but, um, other things are unlocking and looking forward to get to connect with y'all more. But what we did for a long time when we were online, uh, especially during the pandemic, is we would do digital communion. Not everybody loves this practice. I am a deep proponent of it. Uh, my sense is um, God is the one who consecrates the elements and whatever you have in your hands, whatever you have in your house, that God can use that. So I want to issue a specific challenge right now. And again, I know I've been preachy already for a while today. Guys, um, I, I really think it could be important for some of you to take communion right now. Whenever you're watching this, whenever you listen to this, however you're experiencing this, I think it could be important because communion is a way of saying yes to God. And I think that for some of you who have felt like you've been denied access to Jesus, that sense of they've taken him away, um, I think there could be something really meaningful this day about saying yes to this meal. Yes to this communion. Yes to this union. Opening yourself up in this way. Um, this is the altar invitation. So whatever you have in your house, if it's bread, great. If it's salsa chips, great. Um, whatever you have, if you've got some um, wine, some bourbon, some soda, like whatever. Uh, why don't you take a moment and just grab those elements. And what I'm going to do is a super, super abbreviated liturgy that's going to be very simple. Uh, we'll start and we'll take just a moment to confess our sins uh, because we have often lived out of cooperation with love. And part of the difference that I think can be felt right now, you know, we've got a lot of folks, th this is very connected to this message. I think we've got a lot of folks out here who who have the sense, they claim, it's like they're trying to defend the honor of Jesus. 
And, and, and please understand, because I don't think anybody needs to go around feeling personally guilty, like self-flagellating, like, oh, I killed Jesus. But I feel like so many people have this sense of like, other folks are doing something to Jesus in like, a, like they, they hate my Jesus. And, you know, it's, you, you get two very different religions, whether or not you have a other people are killing Jesus kind of thing, or whether or not in humility, uh, there's the sense that all of us are complicit in systems and structures, some that are not entirely chosen, that cause harm. And instead of blaming anybody else, we want to, uh, in humility, we want to own up to our part in that. And we want our hearts to be right. Uh, we don't, um, while we get to feel all the things, we don't want to be swept up in anger and bitterness and wrath and selfishness and greed. Um, we want to get ourselves back into alignment with love. So if you know any version of this confession, we'll say it like this. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may walk in your ways and delight in your will to the glory of your name. Amen. And friends, hear these words, not as my words, but as the words of Christ, that you are forgiven, that you are whole, that you are loved, that there is no shame, that perfect love cast out fear. Uh, receive your identity as beloved children of God. You are God's beloved in whom God is well pleased. And now as we take these elements, I'm not going to do a whole liturgy here. We'll keep it very simple. And God, we just ask you now to consecrate these elements, whatever we have in our hands, uh, whatever we have in our own houses, allow this to become for us the body and blood of Christ. I pray that this will become a taste of grace for us today, that whatever um, whatever bread we need for the journey, let this become that. Let this become, if, if for those who need healing, let there be healing in this bread and in this wine today. For those who need um, mending, for those who need um, any kind of inner healing for those who just need encouragement, allow this to be the food of God and let us feed by faith now. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, friends, whatever you've got, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And friends, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining me on this Easter. It's been so special to get to be with you. Just before we go, I want to show you something. I want to show you something in a second. Um, just before I do that, I will mention this. While we have not been doing quite as much as I've been on this transition, the table still exists. It's still a thing. Any way that you can support us, we're super grateful. Uh, the table, OKC.com, there's a donate button there. So if you feel led uh, to uh, to contribute in any way, 
Thank you for that. No pressure or expectation as always, but if you feel so led, we're super grateful. Um, oh, Nicole, love you too, friend. Thank you all for preaching with me. I just want to show you because I talked about this early on. I thought, again, this is not my house per se. It's a university house, but it's a lovely place to be. And I just want to show you what I was talking about because you have to understand, like, so I got here from back the, about a week ago and lose my connection here. Um, to my knowledge, I didn't know if there being like any flowers here at all. Uh, I couldn't have seen any. Just being like, and I come in and check this out, you guys. I see Manta. Y'all see these? All of this. And hey, look, um, I don't. Since I'm on university property, I don't tend the yard and, you know, I'm not doing anything special out here, but maybe because I've never been to a place where I had any kind of flowers. Um, by this and even before, get, come over, come over. even before getting this sermon today, I just, I've just been thinking about this, this idea of like being gone for a week and it feeling like flowers were in bloom in a way that almost felt like magic um that really is my my prayer for you this easter is that the, uh, you'll have that same experience that i did of getting out of the car and being like what 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 the, uh, that's cool right sorry the connection sometimes it goes like this it's cool but Stella, come on i'm dragging still in the resurrection now this is actually my my favorite part feel like Easter. Yeah. And I had no idea any of this was here. It was kind of like, it just felt like such a gift. So I felt a lot of wonder at that. Hope you find ways of experiencing wonder this Easter. Happy Easter. Once again, everybody, he is risen. Look forward to seeing y'all. Really